Hello, everyone, and welcome back to 2020 Psych. I'm one of your hosts, Claire Kay, and I'm joined today by my father. I'll go ahead and let him introduce himself. Hello, my name is Dr. Hernandez. I'm an American double board certified psychiatrist. Thank you guys so much for tuning in wherever you are in the world. We truly appreciate each and every one of our listeners. Today, we're going to be talking about psychedelics, psychedelic use, recreational use, and if there is any medicinal use. So with that, I'm going to ask my dad, with that in mind, is there any medicinal use for psychedelics? Well, hallucinogens have been broken down into two categories, the classical and the dissociative class. The dissociative ones that include fencyclidine, ketamine, and DXM, among others, Ketamine in particular has an indication for refractory depression. So technically, some of the hallucinogens do have medicinal use, uh, again, particularly uh, ketamine. Fencyclidine was at one point approved as a, as an anesthetic agent. So they, they do have some therapeutic properties to them, for sure. How often do you have patients coming into the unit that are recreationally using these hallucinogens or these psychedelics in particular? I do know that not particularly at the college that I went to, USC, but I do know that in some cities like New York, and I'm sure in Los Angeles, but like New York comes to mind where a common party drug is ketamine. How often do you see that in patients? Well, we don't see people using ketamine too often. We don't see a lot of hallucinogens that often. Occasionally, we'll see something like LSC, LSD, excuse me, and more commonly psilocybin, which is the uh, the active ingredient in uh, mushrooms. So that seems to be the more prevalent uh, hallucinogen that we see in our unit, at least the mushroom use. How how dangerous is psilocybin? And LSD, I guess, first, can you um, explain the difference between LSD and psilocybin? Well, those are both considered classical hallucinogens. LSD has been, was popularized in the 60s by uh, Thomas Leary, um, and, it w- and it's still commonly used. It, it's They did a monitoring the future survey in 2020, and 7.5% of all high school seniors, 12th graders, had used uh, hallucinogens. And LSD was probably the more common one that was used. Uh, psilocybin, as you know, comes from a mushroom. And it can have, like the other hallucinogens, it distorts reality, perceptions, can cause visual hallucinations, uh, auditory hallucinations, and it can also cause cognitive impairment. In other words, patients have difficulties expressing themselves, thinking, and so forth. So psilocybin mushrooms can be rather toxic. LSD in high doses can have what they call a bad trip, where patients uh, uh, can become uh, psychotic for a while and have just a negative experience overall with it. How common is it for, or I guess I should not ask how common, but rather if you were to take, let's say, LSD, what are the chances of you 
slipping into a psychosis that last post trip. So I know with LSD and psilocybin, those trips typically last a few hours, or at least they're supposed to last a few hours. Have you seen patients where they've taken either substance and then they come into the hospital because their trip has extended over the actual duration that it should be? Well, it has been reported that patients that use LSD can have what's what's called the persistent psychosis status post use of the drug. When the drug wears off, usually after a couple of hours, if if people continue to use or misuse LSD, that at some point they can have, uh, after they stop using, they can have what's termed a persistent psychosis. And there's another condition called HPPD, which can also have a pervasive uh, psychotic state as well. Have you ever treated someone? I know you can't give details of the patient, but have you ever treated a patient that had seemingly no prior psych history and then they just so happened that one time to take LSD or psilocybin or any other hallucinogen and then they come into your unit because they are no longer able to function normally? We have treated several patients, particularly this year, two or three patients that came in uh, after they ingested mushrooms. There was one particular patient that was at a party where they put uh, psilocybin-containing mushrooms on his pizza, and he knew that it, that the pizza had uh, these kind of mushrooms on it, but he persisted to eat it. So I thought that was a rather interesting form of uh, uh, having your pizza. Uh, and he did have uh, persistent auditory and visual hallucinations that lasted for several days, but fortunately, that sort of li- that was time limited, and and the symptoms resolved on their own. Is there any particular treatment someone can go through? Let's say if they do take psilocybin or LSD, is there anything that they can do to recover? And I know I saw a TikTok once that a girl said that she had taken LSD, and since taking LSD, her visual hallucinations never subsided. That sounds like that persistent psychosis uh, uh, syndrome that she developed you know, post-LSD use. I would think that psychiatrists, would, we would attempt to give antipsychotic medication at that point. And of course, abstinence would be required to hopefully keep the, the, the hallucinations at bay. So when a patient does come into the unit with some symptoms of psychosis, do you screen them to ask if they have taken any of those substances? Uh, because can it not like mimic uh, schizophrenia and manic bipolar disorder at all? Well, in our unit, we routinely ask all patients about four essential, four essential areas. One, suicidality. The other one's homicidality. The third one is psychosis. And the last one is drug use or misuse. So those are routine questions that we ask each and every patient every single time that we see them or when they come into our unit. And have you read anything about, I feel like we, definitely one of our episodes before I brought it up in the past, I'm not sure, oh, I think it was our MDMA episode, so not entirely related, but do you, have you read anything about um, medical use for these hallucinogens, specifically like psilocybin, I know like I read an article about how it can treat depression and things like that. How how much truth do you think is in that? 
Well, there is research into psilocybin and even LSD. Um, LSD at one point was thought to be a treatment for alcoholism. So the research is there, but I don't think there's any evidence-based medicine research that you would consider that's valid that right now anyone would be recommending for uh, the treatment of depression. With all drugs, many, many cause depression in and of themselves. So... Uh, and these particular substances are toxic in the sense that they can, as we mentioned earlier, cause psychosis. So it's something that would have to be, uh, these studies must be done very carefully uh, in order not to cause harm, number one. And it's sort of a reach to see if things, I think, that w- if they would have any sort of a therapeutic value for, in treating depression. I know I had a friend of mine who struggles from a mental illness already use psilocybin in small microdoses in along with their prescribed medication and they said that they did have some positive effects but then they ultimately did decide to discontinue microdosing have you ever encountered a patient that was persistent in the use of something like psilocybin I haven't, but I would think that's on the risky side, and I don't think I could ever possibly recommend that to anyone because I think you're sort of like playing with fire, if you, if you will. That's I, I think that's really dangerous. So aside from LSD and psilocybin, you mentioned a substance such as ketamine. Do you? What are the dangers of prolonged use with substances such as that? Well, I think that it depends on the sensitivity of each individual. For some, they can be very toxic, others find it pleasurable. But when they typically end up in a psychiatric unit, it's because if they've had deleterious or very harmful effects. Uh, and and again, we see very few of these in a, in a year. These are just a very small amount. of. It's a, a small percentage of the patients that come in for substance use disorders that come in on hallucinogens. Another of the issues with hallucinogens is that you can't test you can't test for them in the in the routine urine toxicology screens. Uh, they they would require special testing which are not available in most hospitals such as ours. So the patients may not be forthcoming with uh, their their actual drug use so uh, some of it may go undetected it probably does uh, but uh, again that's just a, a very small percentage of the patients that we see um, coming into the unit as you know the more popular drugs are the amphetamines cannabinoids and now we're starting to see a great deal of patients with opioid use disorders that are coming in and and, and of course alcohol has always been there and will always will be there and the combination with uh, other drugs such as benzodiazepines make these all very dangerous for for our patient population. Have you heard any or read anything in your research about, I think I saw, I don't think they specifically said this in the Netflix documentary. I'm forgetting what it was called, but it was all about like LSD and uh, psilocybin use and I think it prompted me after the fact to like look this up, but something about like you can't engage in like sexual activity when you're on something like LSD because if you do, um, if you like reach climax, especially as a male, if you reach climax, you can 
that's like an overload of dopamine in your brain and you can induce uh, schizophrenia. I, can't, I quite haven't heard how that affects libido. Uh, I'm not really, I'm sort of clueless as to how to answer that question. Because uh, again, we have, I've had such limited experience with the hallucinogens and I haven't really inquired into uh, the sexual effects or activities that patients that that engage in in their use, so it's it's difficult for me to comment on that. Uh, so it's it's just hard for me to make a to, to to answer that question. Do you know where specifically and like nationally, uh, where there's particular struggles with uh, recreational use of these substances? Well. Last year, it was reported by the National Institute of Drug Abuse that the hallucinogens was in, in college students or college age folks was a little was was at increased slightly. So, uh, I think that if this is an ongoing trend, that it's going to, it's we're going to see more patients uh, uh, with uh, you know in, in the hospital. Of course, we're going to see the patients that had the toxic effects of these hallucinogens. So we'll learn more about this as we go. Uh, and again, because it's not tested, it's going to be, it's harder to detect uh, and study. Uh, but if we start seeing bigger numbers of these patients, we'll be able to maybe make more comments uh, about this topic in a year's time. Because these substances are illegal, is there any, and I don't think there is, but I'm curious because I actually don't know, like, if let's say a patient comes into the hospital, they have LSD or they've used LSD or psilocybin, you guys don't report that to the police, right? Because that's not your job. Like uh, that's like a HIPAA violation. Yes, absolutely. That's strictly confidential, and the only time we would report it if someone maybe wants to hurt others and things of that sort. But generally speaking, uh, the all the the, the hospital reports are, are are protected by the patient's privacy. Do you see, based off what you've read, do you see these types of drugs becoming legal anytime in the future? And especially, at least in the like medicinal use landscape? I don't see that anytime soon, uh, though ketamine was sort of a breakthrough medication because it works quickly in patients that are severely depressed and those that are suicidal. Uh, unfortunately, it's not readily available to to all of us, but the reports are that it works quickly and the, the effects are lasting. So hopefully it'll be more uh, available to clinicians all over in different settings. So uh, that's something that I am looking forward to in the future, that that the use of ketamine can be more widespread and readily available. What was ketamine originally developed for? It was developed as a, an anesthetic agent. And then through trials and testing, they discovered that it had other effects too? Yes, it was used, it was misused, and people were feeling somewhat euphoric. And somehow they started testing it on patients that were depressed and discovered that it has very unique properties in, in regards to its onset of action, that it works really fast. After a couple of doses, a patient is lifted from their depression. It's almost miraculous. So, uh, again, that that is a, a, a novel 
uh, antidepressant, and we hope that more medications of that type are available to our patients. So you're saying that it is, you know, hard to come by in a hospital setting. I'm wondering if someone is in a party setting and ketamine, quote unquote, is presented to them in that situation. How safe do you think that like, do you think that's really true? What what what's in front of them is ketamine if it's so hard to come by? Like, obviously, yeah, I'll ask you that question. Well, it's it's not that ketamine is that hard to come by. It, it's ketamine's readily available and it's relatively inexpensive because it's been around for so long. However, the pharmaceutical company that developed it sells it for an enormous amount of money, and it's given intranasally. Uh, and they had to just tweak the molecule a little bit. But my understanding from experts, uh, particularly out of Boston. Uh, that it's the same ketamine that they use for for anesthesia, and that's inexpensive. And the, in the, given by experts, it can be used. The regular ketamine can be used as what the the pharmaceutical is marketing for as an antidepressant. The difference is in the price. Um, the regular ketamine is inexpensive, but the ketamine that's for antidepressant treatment is prohibitively expensive. And very controlled because it's a hallucinogen as well. It's classified as that. So, so what are your final your what are your final thoughts on hallucinogens, psychedelics, um, for our listeners listening to this at home or wherever they are? What would you have to say about these substances? I think that overall they're dangerous, and you should stay away from them, as you should from all drugs. I I can never advocate for the use of uh, uh, of substances uh, because that would be wrong. Uh, they generally can cause detrimental side effects, and when you're using hallucinogens, you're really uh, taking a risk that it can cause persistent psychosis and maybe other uh, neurotoxic effects that. Uh, you'll you'll regret later on in your life. So you should stay away from them. That's what I would recommend. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. Please follow us on Instagram at 2020psychpodcast to connect with us and give us your thoughts, send us your questions, anything, just chat us up. Thank you guys so much for listening and I hope you have a great day wherever you are.